You're listening to Morning Radio TVD. Coming up on the program, remember when we did astrology? Not doing that today. It's Fits in the Tree on Morning Radio TBD. We, we definitely have a couple of things that we at one point or another said, hey, this is going to be a weekly segment, and it was a weekly segment for a week. So, like, I guess technically true. Like, it was a weekly segment. It was one segment one week, but uh, we, like, that that's one that we've never really followed up on was the astrology. <laughs> well, that gets exhausting, man. Trying to keep up with what your future is supposed to be. I, you know what? And it takes away from uh, from living in the present. You know what? What is it uh, that uh, uh, is? I think it's Qui Gon says to Obi Wan is uh, you. You know, don't let your mind wander too much or something along those lines. Oh, stay focused on the here and now. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Thank you. And uh, and Obi Wan says, but Master Yoda says I should be mindful of the future. And Qui Gon. He, he he lays this smackdown with, but not at the expense of the moment, and uh, that's that. I think that's I, I think that's a it's a good lesson. It's a good lesson in life. Um, thank you, Star Wars. <laughs> if you're not a huge Star Wars nerd, uh, then you don't know this, but Qui Gon was kind of a wayward soul versus the Council. Like he never ended up on the Council because he had a habit of doing his own thing. Right. And the Council probably made his way into it because it was Sam Jackson. Probably being like. Ugh. This motherfucker. <laughs> Vexing you are, Qui-Gon. Oh, there you go. That's solid. That was a good one. I, I like it. I, and I can I can hear I, I can hear Yoda even like delivering that and just just being so I, I think the idea of a seriously just pissed off Yoda might be the funniest thing I've ever like tried to picture in my head. Is like not angry enough to go dark side. But just like completely put out, right? Like he's been waiting for 35 minutes for his entree and he just doesn't understand anymore what is taking so long. <laughs> long time this is. So, okay. So Yoda, Yoda's an interesting like, um, he's an interesting tool in, uh, in, in character building that he then became a caricature of himself. I don't think that Yoda was effectively uh, used beyond the Empire Strikes Back. Because at first, he has this kind of folksy, quote-unquote, backwards way of talking, right? Where he uh, is it, he introduces the verb before the subject. I, I forgot, I, he reverses the language, basically. Yeah. And it's, it, it, it's essentially, it's... It, it's actually how a lot of um, it's how a lot of languages are built, but to the American English speaking ear, it sounds backwards. But once he is revealed to be the Jedi Master, then his his language reverses again, and we get him talking in very what what you would consider like smooth, coherent sentences. And the idea was is that he used this kind of like, hey, I'm just a folksy little swamp monster, uh, uh, like disguise to keep people off his track. But once he understood he was talking to an ally, um, then he uh, he he shifted his his um, he shifted his lexicon. So you and you think everybody his... got caught on. No, I was just saying. You, you go think ahead. His vernacular was a disguise. Yes, I do. I think it was 100% it was a disguise. And when he is revealed to be the Jedi Master, his vernacular changes. And uh, But everybody got caught up on him talking backwards. And then from there on out, Yoda just talked backwards. That was like his idiosyncrasy. It's like, well, no, this was actually, this was a character trait. It was a very fascinating one. So to go a little deeper on this, 
uh, yeah. because I am a borderline Star Wars nerd in that like I'm annoyed with the franchise, but I'll still consume a lot of the material, hoping that it gets okay. better. So I've sure. been – do you remember Yaddle? Do you remember in episode one Yaddle. they introduced a female Yoda on yes. the Jedi Council? Yeah, she's on the Council. Yeah. Yep. She doesn't say anything, she, but she's there. And you're like, oh, there's she's like another Yoda creature. So she's present right. in their current – uh, Star Wars High Republic series, which takes place roughly, okay. like, I think, two to 250 years before, um, like, episode one. Gotcha. At, as such, Yoda's still running around. He's doing things. Uh, but there's yep. a storyline that uh, involves Yaddle. And you realize okay. that Yoda is purely unique in talking like that. Yaddle has no problem speaking normally. Like, this is just a Yoda thing. That's why I think it's like a it's a disguise aspect. Like it's it's one of the ways that Yoda plays mind games with people. You know, like uh, the there's the the um, the eternal debate about whether or not Jack Sparrow is constantly drunk, and I would argue that in fact no, that he's actually often quite sober, and that he uses this kind of like funny slurring speech and you know, sort of waving walk to make people think that he's drunk all the time so that they underestimate him. And he puts himself in advantageous positions that way because people go in underestimating him. I think the same is true for Yoda. I think Yoda just did it better. Ooh. Showdown between Frank Oz and Johnny Depp. Who will win? Because <laughs> everything's a battle. <laughs> Everything has to be a battle. All right. Well, I guess that's our nerd yeah. talk. Yeah. Get the so nerd anyway, talk that's, out of the way. Uh, Get it out early. Yeah. How's uh, how's things there? It's fine. It's uh, you know, it's great. Back to school for two days, and uh, you know, it's, yeah. It's Thursday school house. start is odd. Yeah, it's we're getting to the season, so it's August, right? And that means right, kids are starting to go back to school. Yep. And it means pumpkin spice is coming back. Get ye to a Starbucks immediately. Get your pumpkin spice. Already already looking forward to the pumpkin spice, huh? Well, why not? Here's the thing. It doesn't... I mean, I, like, it's not that I'm not excited for it to come back. It doesn't feel right when it's fucking 100 degrees outside. That's why you get a, a, a Frappuccino, baby. I don't know about that, Josh. Now you're just talking about a, like... Basically, a a milkshake, <laughs> like not coffee anymore. <laughs> Correct. I mean, yeah, I guess as like a like a after lunch, you know, once a month maybe I go go grab one of those. But I, <laughs> I had my mind. I don't blown. know. I don't know. Okay, go ahead. Someone uh, made me aware of this yesterday. A vanilla soy latte is technically a three bean soup. <laughs> <laughs> I. I, I can't. I can't. I just can't. I, I, I won't. Uh, I'm not going to give any kind of no. N zero credit. Uh, please try again. Um, show your work next time. <laughs> How dare you? Vanilla bean. Soy bean. Coffee bean. <laughs> you like drinking a cup of bean soup. <sighs> yeah. The, so the, the idea that um, coffee is bean juice I, apart from in, in just kind of, I, I don't know why it sounds gross to me. Um, it's just it's fundamentally incorrect. <laughs> like you're not taking the original coffee fruit and pressing it and getting a juice out of it. No, it's bean you're, water. You're, it's it's more of a distillation process than anything. 
Yeah. Bean water. Fine. Whatever helps you sleep at night, you heathen. You know what does not help you sleep? Coffee. That's why we drink it in the morning in Cthulhu cups well, yeah, for some that's, people. Right, exactly. It's, it's the only way to start your day when, when there's just abject chaos in the world. <laughs> so anyway, I... Uh, yeah, I... I Oh man, I don't even know like where to begin with today. Like I'm, I'm, I'm. I feel like I'm just sort of off my game this morning. But it's because I was at a company dinner last night, and I don't, I don't love work dinners, Josh. Um, I think that they are inherently an interruption. <laughs> so, start to finish, everything about the work dinner to me is inconvenient and unenjoyable. Um, one, everybody always shows up late, which is one of my absolute biggest pet peeves. Um, as a human being, I am occasionally late as well, uh, and I excoriate myself for being late. Like, it's not something that I'm, like, pissed off about in the moment. It's something that I'll be pissed off at myself for the rest of the day. So I at least hold consistent standards. Um, but people always show up late to these stupid dinners. They're supposed to begin at 7. Nobody's actually getting set, sat down until 7.30. Everybody wants to do a round of drinks and appetizers first, which means that you're not even ordering entrees until like 8.15 at night. And at that point, the dinner window for me has closed. I'm like, I'm, I, even if I have not eaten enough yet that day, I'm just not interested anymore. I'm like, this is, this is fucking ridiculous. So it, I, they, they, they drive me nuts because the other thing too is everybody likes to be heard and everybody likes to talk. There is a fundamental conflict between just speaking and giving everybody ample opportunity to listen and to uh, respond meaningfully. So they're just loud. Like people just shout things at each other. And I, I don't know, man. I, our, our team dinner went until 10 last night because apparently that's what constitutes fucking dinner. And uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not feeling it today. <laughs> So a few questions. Uh, mm -hmm. Question number one: Was the dinner mandatory? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> this is if if leadership is in town, it is that is not an option. Question two: Was it a uh, formal, semi-formal? What was the dress code? I, I mean, it's so it's post-conference, so everybody is going to be in some sort of business business casual. And not like stretch, not stretch the definition business casual where you can get away with nice joggers and like an untucked button down. Like at the very least, you're wearing good jeans and shoes, maybe a blazer and a button down. Did you wear your dinner jacket? Of course I wore my dinner jacket. Fantastic. Uh, final question. Did you have the chicken or the sea bass? <laughs> the salmon. So we'll go with the sea bass. <laughs> <laughs> Which I was recently arguing with a friend that I think that um, restaurants need to get back to politer portion sizes, which I stand by in the same breath that I'm going to gripe about the fact that my portion of salmon was about as long as my palm and two fingers wide. And I was like, I could have done for a little bit more salmon, especially at 27 bucks a pop. Was it fresh caught or farm raised? Oh, farm raised. Somebody oh, at the table asked. Oh, well, yeah. I'm so glad someone did uh, because it yeah. matters in terms of salmon, actually, not trying to be pretentious. But also in terms of your cost, you paid that much for farm-raised salmon. You can get a bag of bigger farm-raised salmon from like Walmart for like 10 bucks. I know. Again, 
There's probably I, it's, a quality it's, issue. But uh, maybe. But <clears throat> all the same, it's it, it it all plays into just this uh, completely obnoxious dance of uh, work dinners. Um, I'm yeah. You know what? I I I am very Gen Z. Uh, just to be clear to our listeners, I, I I am not actually Gen Z, but I identify with Gen Z in they don't like social bleed into work circumstances, so they don't like to go to uh, after work happy hours or after work dinners. They they want to separate from their job after they're done with their working hours, and I wholeheartedly a hundred percent agree with that. Like I, I I'm just I'm. I am yet to find a profession that I worked in where I was so passionate about it that I wanted to spend more than eight hours at a time with the same people. <laughs> like, there's there's a limited number of people in the world that I want to spend more than eight hours a day with. And, uh, yeah, anyway. I think I'm finally starting to see that shift in my job because as a flight attendant, apparently, you work together in close quarters for, yeah. you know, eight to ten hours. And then yep. a lot of people, especially a lot of the old guard, you get to the hotel and they're like, let's go out and do something or like, let's get together for dinner at this time. You want to be down to da, da da da. And there was like almost a stigma if you were like, no, I'm going to like just kind of go to my room and chill out. And they're like, oh, you're a slam clicker, which is you close the door, hit the lock and you're done. Slam click. I love that. Oh, it's my great. God. I, I, I want to embrace slam clicking. Well, it took me a while because I was like. I don't want to be stigmatized, but also uh, I'm on a budget and I've embraced it now. They're just like, oh, are you a slam clicker? I'm like, yep. And I just try to explain to it. I'm like, you can be the coolest crew in the world. You can be the coolest crew in the world. Um, but I've been with you. I've been with people for so long. I'm like, I, I've got my own thing to do. I need to kind of chill out. Uh, I don't care if I'm in like the coolest city. There, there's times I go to places, layovers I love, and there's things like I want to do. But by the end of my day, I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not going out. Yeah, exactly. And 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 that I wish would just get a little bit more embraced in general. It's really interesting that you were talking about being on a budget, and I'm I'm curious about this because like, presumably everybody else on that flight crew is on a similar budget. Uh, and I've been listening to a lot of podcasts lately about how many Americans live their lives consistently in the red, like not making any progress towards getting into the black. Um, like credit card debt is reaching levels that is that are catastrophic. Like we, we are on the verge of a, a credit card catastrophe. Um, I, apparently, I didn't realize this, a lot of people refinance their vehicles during COVID and banks talked them into rolling in a personal loan into that refi, basically saying, hey, your monthly payment is still going to go down by this much. Um, so why not just take out $10,000 for whatever you want to do with it as well? And so on top of having car loans, they have personal loans that that uh, they're dealing with. Car delinquencies are going up. Um I, I, I say all this because when you're on a budget, and I'm trying to become even more conscious of just budgetary living, uh, the idea of going out every single night after work is, like, where is that money coming from? Other than it is going on a credit card that you're going to put in a shoebox under the bed and hope that the, the credit card man never comes around. So I've got a credit card company that's annoyed with me and a mortgage company that's annoyed with us because we have a really dope 
interest rate because we re- refinanced like before all the Great. economic stuff went topsy turvy. Yeah. And so now they keep calling my wife and trying to persuade her to like take out some home equity because yeah. like, things are so good and you can just, you know, been waiting on a home improvement project. You can take out, you know, equity and do this. And she's like, uh, yeah, no, <laughs> no, I like, <laughs> I, I like my interest rate where it is. I kind of love the situation I have right now. I'm sorry that you don't, but, uh, this is great for me. Bye. And the same thing, uh, capital one is keeps trying to get me to switch my card. They're like, you can upgrade and change your card. And I was like, I'm already pissed off with you for raising my interest rate for no reason, like twice since I've owned you. I don't get rid. I don't close the account because it's my oldest account. I've had it since I was like 18. Right. So I'm keeping the account, but I'm like, don't. No, we're not changing anything. But I mean, that's the thing with credit cards is there is no such thing as like a static credit card uh, interest rate. Like they're, they're always floating rates and they're always tacked to the market. And because interest rates are incredibly high in the marketplace right now, yeah, of course, it, it doesn't matter how good your credit is. They're, they will they will never ratchet down interest rates. They'll only take them up. Yeah, or try to find a way to convince you that it's worth it. Um, and so now they're trying to get me to consciously make the decision on my own to switch to a different card with better benefits for whatever if I cared. And thereby probably raise my interest rate even more. I'm like, I'm good, thanks. One of the one of the guys that I was talking with at dinner last night actually did make kind of an interesting and very salient point about how um, uh, credit card points depreciate year after year. Um, and uh, basically, and and I and I, I still have to kind of think through some of the logic of this because, uh, you know, points are based on how much you spend on the card. Uh, but he was like, hey, you know, travel gets expens- more expensive every year, so... Uh, you know, the points that you have saved up on your credit card are worth less. Um, and I, and I'm not, I, I'm still not totally sold on this argument, but I do like the, uh, I do like the idea of it. Um, I think it breaks a little bit under uh, inflationary pressure where, yeah, but you're spending more. So you're, you're inherently gaining more points because of, but he does have a good point that what is already banked, you know, what you've already spent money on and banked points on those points are from lower expenditures and are now going to have to go towards higher cost travel. And basically his point was, is like, if you're not using your points, you're, you're losing money. Um, and he's, he's actually kind of right about that. Yeah. I mean, in a sense, you're losing free money. So I think right. it just depends on what your pr- perspective is. Cause you're just like, well, sure. I didn't have that money in the first place. Yeah. Um, it just would have been a nice additional. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so indeed. it's fun to kind of talk a little bit about, uh, uh, personal finance situations uh because th- this week the 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 media has kind of been talking about well some stuff that kind of goes to opposite ends of the spectrum on economic stuff right on the one hand yeah we we had the economic news about how everyone seems to agree that the economy is doing well like we're not going to end up in a recession which was the goal maybe uh, yeah everything seems to you know the analysts that be and seems to trend towards saying that because there are more jobs uh unemployment is down and infrastructure is being worked on which creates more jobs and all this stuff which is thanks to laws that biden has put into place but biden's not getting credit for uh economic stuff this is the same news organization hold on this is the same news organization that was like you know when an economy goes topsy-turvy um it's a lot of people want to blame the president and there's only so much the president can do. This is the same news organization that's now like, 
you know, Biden's done a lot of good stuff to help this economy, and nobody's really uh, I'm, you can't have it both ways, guys. Which is it? Come on. So I I do I, I no longer have any faith that the president has any kind of sway on the economic status of the of the United States. I just I I don't I actually don't understand where people have gotten that idea from. It seems like a talking point that um, a certain political party kind of came up with, um, who never want to own it when shit is bad under their watch, but uh, definitely like to to throw uh, others under the bus when it's it, anyway. There is the 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 power of the the U.S. economic market is such that it really it gets to tell the government what it's going to do. Um, it's not the other way around. Um, I do think that like this is part of my big beef with the current state of of the United States is that we should live in uh, under much greater capitalist regulation um, for that exact reason. Then I would have faith that the the president has some sort of impact on on uh, the the economic standard of living of of Americans. The, the president's not a, they're not a they're not in any way associated with the free market like. They can create some policies that can impact the way that the free market functions. But again, by and large, at the end of the day, those companies, they tell the government what to do. It's it's not the other way around. Um, also, some of the economic indicators that everybody are, are pointing to as like, this is proof we're not going to go into a recession or that that things are good. Like I, I do. I think the, the, the Biden administration is taking a premature victory lap right now. Because if you look under the hood, one of the reasons that jobs, like the unemployment rate is so low is the number of people who have left the workforce completely and stopped looking for jobs, particularly a young um, among young males. So there, there are some more sinister stats that are waved over by the, hey, look at how low unemployment is. It's like, well, that's among job seekers. If you're not looking for a job, you're not counted among the unemployed. And that's where I think that the, the the picture is far more bleak. No matter how much you tell people the economy is great, this is the the economy really is something of feelings. And if people don't feel good, if they if they continue to feel precarious, the economy will never be truly healthy. Yeah, I I always go back to uh, you know, you're like, oh, this many people have jobs. I'm like, great, but like. What kind of job? Like, what are they being paid? Yes. Can they live off of yes. any of that in any way? But you make yeah. a very I, you make a very interesting uh, asterisk there, where the in, unemployment numbers center around uh, people that are actively looking for employment. So that is a skewed right. metric. God, it's like polling. They're like, oh, the polls say. I'm like, what polls? I don't see any polls. But this is this is the. Um I mean, we've talked a little bit about this before, the the idea of like truly thinking critically, um, which I, I think people actually don't <laughs> people who, who often say that they think critically don't necessarily have a grip on this. And and I say that as somebody who's going to then claim that I think critically about things. So I appreciate the inherent potential hypocrisy, but let's <laughs> let, let's chase this rapid for a moment. Um thinking critically about the the economic indicators or about polling or any of that means Asking not just what the result was, but how did you arrive at that result? Did you did you create a a question that essentially set you up to have the correct answer? Right. This is this is why peer reviewed studies are so important because when a research study is done, oftentimes, well, not oftentimes, 
Sometimes people go into a research study with a predetermined outcome in mind. They think they're going to prove something, so they set their experiment up to prove that thing. Peer review serves the function of going in and saying, you can't reliably say what your conclusion was because you set your study up to find an answer, not whatever answer is possible. Same thing with, with polling. You can frame a question so that there is only essentially one outcome of the the answer to that question and like if you just go up down on is the employment is are the employment numbers high if it's just up down it's like yes but there's such a massive but in the background um that if you think even a step beyond just that initial result you do find some some rot underneath it all yeah yeah exactly that being said if you try to think that critically about anything ever, everything ever, you're going to run out of time in your day-to-day life. So that is why we want to try to have trust in what is being uh, relayed to us across you know, news entities and the like, but it's become increasingly hard. And even though I well, am, and it, I'm just going to say, even though I am staunchly against the people that are like, oh, the, the, the fake news and media lies stuff, I'm very against that. Uh, there is a certain amount of bias and complicity in news media that wants you to think and feel a certain way. So they tell you a certain amount of information and trust you to not look. Well, and that's it. And that's the thing is that that's why any time I, I, I think that there there are two times that you should probably almost reflexively think deeper about a, a talking point on uh, on in news media. One if it drastically goes against your your understanding of the world as it is if it goes so far so hard against what you understand to be true you should probably look a little bit deeper into it like uh, a good example was uh, is chocolate healthy for you studies say yes that does not comport with reality in any way and you need to look a little bit deeper at what did that study actually look at and it when they say that yes chocolate is healthy for you in what form in what amounts you know like uh, how often are are you included in your diet in you know there there are so many there are so many unanswered questions by just a result headline that you, you just you you can't you cannot the other time that you you should immediately be thinking critically about a headline is when it too closely aligns with your beliefs because then it strays into the the uh, territory of being potentially propaganda or um, a, a carefully doctored talking point that might in on some level be like uh, technically true, but completely loses the spirit of, of, of an argument. Um, and this this is the thing like the the mainstream media as it exists today, it, it is it, it is it, it's partially for or if not completely for entertainment value, right? Legacy media companies require, they don't make any money off of themselves. They require advertising and brand deals to keep them, to keep themselves propped up, right? Like that's, that is the inherent flaw in mainstream media is that because they don't produce a product that people would pay for on its own, they need to be supported by advertising, which means that they are going to put forward stories that true or not grab attention because if your attention is on them then your attention is on their advertisers and their advertisers then make money so it's 
this is part of the late-stage capitalist hellscape that I'm always talking about, is mainstream media is, it, it's corrupt in that way. That being said, we are still uh, looking for money. If anybody wants to give us money, uh, <laughs> we will happily take money to keep this program going. Uh, just uh -huh. not better help. That's my one stipulation, no, please, we, not we, better help. We, we we won't we won't work with better better help yeah no the so let, let's talk back to the economic stuff uh some of the things yeah. that the, the news media has acknowledged is that you know people won't necessarily have that same perspective that the news and the government is trying to put forth saying that the economy is in a good place it's not heading towards a a bad place or i guess a worse off place uh because our day-to-day -day, i'm like well my cereal box is still this thin and costs like two dollars more i just held up a cd case um for those of you only <laughs> listening to audio because that's what we are uh, a cd case uh cd stands for compact disc we used to put music on it and play it in a <laughs> a, a radio type device anyway getting off track <laughs> Our listeners are all 28 or older. They they, they know what CDs are. <laughs> the but let, let's uh, let, let's talk about another thing that was kind of covered weirdly in the news as it relate, relates yeah. to uh, stuff going on in the job market and the economy. Uh, you had to bring mm -hmm. this to my attention. Actually, you're like, I want to talk about this, and I was like, Wait, what? Yeah. Uh, yellow trucking, which yes. is a vehicle. So that I have seen everywhere all my life, but never effing think about it. But yes, go on. They yellow are, they're so ubiquitous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yellow trucking is, it's it's like so ubiquitous that it's, it is like, it's in the background of your brain. Like, it's like you said, like you, you have probably seen hundreds, if not thousands of yellow trucks uh, throughout your life, but because they're so just omnipresent, you just don't think about them anymore. Yellow trucking used to be one of the largest uh, mechanisms for logistics in the United States. Like they, they, they were just one of the powerhouses of shipping. Um, but because they're, they're not necessarily consumer focused, they're not like B2C, they're more B2B, you know, business to business. Um, <clears throat> you probably don't interact with yellow a whole lot, but yellow had a ton of government contracts. They worked with a lot of, you know, major corporations. They, they were a major piece of the logistics supply chain. <laughs> and, they just filed for bankruptcy. They like the company is is collapsing uh, and shutting down um, because of just truly atrocious mismanagement. Which the reason that I found this story so interesting is because it is such a perfect example of people screaming free market, free market, free market, and then as soon as the tides turn against them, they scream protect me from the free market. The reason that I think that the, this particular company failing is so egregious is because they fairly recently received a $700 million bailout from the United States government. So you as an individual corona, right? who is working hard. Yeah. I'm pretty, uh, I, I want to double check that. Um, but I, it was, it, I, I believe it was, let's say, when did Yellow Trucking get their bailout? Uh <clears throat> Yellow executives said they they intend to fully repay a seven hundred million dollar loan that Trump gave them uh, to ba to bail out uh, as a form of pandemic relief in twenty twenty. So yes, it was it was during during Corona. Um, they say that they're going to pay it back, but like they're the the company's bankrupt. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so this is a company that 
free market, free market, free market. And then the moment the free market says, you can't keep up, they scream, like I said, save me from the free market. And they ask for a bailout. Your money as a taxpayer has now gone to support a company that completely failed. And I like they're talking about how this is Yellow is one of those companies that should be too big to fail because, you know, the the implication on our uh, uh, our supply chain is going to be like existential again. And there's going to be all these problems in in the economy because of, of uh, a yellow going under because they can't we're missing a major aspect of how goods are moved around the country. <laughs> like this is this this is the eventual downstream impact of propping up companies that are run purely for profit and not for efficacy. And this is the problem with unregulated capitalism is that it has one and one single goal only, make money. It doesn't matter how that money is made, it's make money at all costs. And that's what Yellow did. Yellow, they they did whatever they could just to make money at the expense of keeping their actual organization healthy. They've now collapsed. And if they had been better regulated, we wouldn't be in a position where the U.S. taxpayers are out nearly a billion dollars to support a company that ultimately still failed because of shit like stock buybacks and executive bonuses. So it seems like the the American way, the American capitalist way is, you know, you go hard, you do business at all costs. And then when you're in trouble, you ask the government to bail you out and then they do that. Like we have a long history of precisely that uh some stuff that really pissed me off back in the 2008 crash and subsequent stuff i remember changing insurance companies because i was with aig insurance Mm -hmm. and then when aig was one of those big companies that was like came out oh they grossly mismanaged anything i was like well time to jump ship that's that's literally all i can do you've already taken my taxpayer money uh so we're we're in another this is just the the latest of a company thinking that they could do that and then surprise, surprise, they couldn't. But they're still going to get a certain amount of protection by being able to file for bankruptcy. Uh, one thing I couldn't find is uh, definitively, I was like, the company will be gone. Like, will it be completely gone? Or does it get bought up and like re, uh, like absorbed over under somebody else and like the, the brand will still exist, but it will be someone else that I, I wasn't able to find anything about my guess my guess is is that they are so leveraged because they owe so much in 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 relief money that nobody will touch them because i mean you're not just buying the company you're buying the debt and so True. uh you know i i guess it would depend on like the the nature of the the deal that struck um somebody who knows economics better than i do probably could say that you know, well, this is a way that somebody could buy the company without incurring all the debt. But I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't see. I don't see how how they survive. And every article that I've read has basically leaned on the fact that thirty thousand people are going to be out of a job because so, of. I was going to come to this. Uh, the whole yeah. Uh, they reiterate. You know, thirty thousand people are have have lost their job. Uh, Twenty two thousand, which are members of the uh, Teamsters, our mm-hmm. union. The company, a lot of things that I've been reading is the company is putting the blame on the union uh, Teamsters, like their negotiations and and like just playing an unfair game and they brought down the company. Let's say that's true. Let's say that's true. Good for you. That's what you should do 
if you're a unionized workforce, in my opinion, like your demands should be discussed. They should be taken seriously. You should actively work towards an agreement towards trying to take care of your people. The whole reasons unions exist is because otherwise you would not be taken care of as a worker. Right. And and what's but what's egregious about this is that the yellow didn't want to come to the table and and take care of its workers. But in the background was paying massive executive bonuses and doing stock buybacks and like stock buybacks are one of the most insidious tools that companies use to like boost their what their like market cap is and to make themselves look like they're worth more than they they actually are. It's all fake, and it's right? it. it like stock it's buybacks completely is, fake. It's artificial. It is. It's it's the company buying its own stock to make it look like other people are buying its stock. And I mean, at the at the end of the day, then the company owns more share of shares of itself. But it's like, well, at that point, then just be a, a private industry rather than being uh, on the public market. And it's it, it's this that really pisses me off is when it comes to companies like this going under and the whole free market economy bullshit. It's privatize the gains socialize the losses. So yep. when the getting's good, a couple of private individuals are going to get a huge chunk of that. But when it all falls apart, everybody in the United States needs to suffer because of the the executives uh, at the top. And this is why I think we need severe jail penalties for financial crimes. It can't be... I, I don't think we need to do... I, I think fines need to go out there. And I am somebody who is for the most part, largely uh, largely critical of the United States penal system. I think it's completely ineffective. I think that we over-penalize people for, like, ridiculously minor crimes that, that have little to no uh, societal harm, whereas something like this, which is going to cause a ripple effect in our economy that everybody is going to feel, the executives might get a slap on the wrist and maybe charged some money, which basically is the United States saying there are some crimes that you can commit as long as you can literally pay enough money to commit them. You can buy your way out of trouble. These motherfuckers need to go to jail and and they need to like they need to be stripped of their assets. They need to be forced to live in a like a a, a, a one room apartment for the rest of their lives to think about like the way that they impacted because their drivers all the you know the the line people that are out of a job, that's the life that they are going to be stuck with for a time until they can find new ways to you know and it, they're the ones that are are really going to hurt because they're out of income, they're out of health insurance, they they they're not able to provide for themselves or their families very suddenly because of greed at the top of their chain. So I want to see company executives going to jail. I want to see them stripped of all assets and. Uh, I, I I want them on their fucking asses. I want examples made. Like uh, we we allow company executives to get away with so much because this this country is so deeply financially driven. I don't like I'm I'm over it. Legalize marijuana, criminalize being a CEO. And we're gonna come back into this whole crime thing in our what the Florida segment in a little bit. But in the meantime, <laughs> um, I think trucking overall like our our shipping lanes across the country i don't think they'll be impacted too severely maybe in the sh in the short term maybe but part of the reason yellow is going under is because they were already losing a ton of clients uh, it, so many companies had pulled their orders partially because of their 
uh, business mismanagement and partially because of the the union uh, negotiations. And so which that and that is the grounds that yellow is complaining, oh, this this union stuff is but, it hurt our business. It's like, well, no, not necessarily. It, this is where it is it, it's not and this is this is a media framing device to make it seem like there's a lot of people to blame. It's it's not the Teamsters to blame. They wanted better working conditions and a better life for their employees. If you put that before anybody in the U.S., they'd be like, yeah, of course, they they should probably be getting paid more and they should have a better quality of life. That's incontrovertible. Company mismanagement led to a breakdown in efficiencies, which led to a breakdown in the way that these workers are being treated. And it led to a breakdown in in the talks with the Teamsters. This is not about the workers. It is the bullshit at the top of the chain. Yellow failed because its leaders were fucking nutcases. And they didn't have enough money to uh, railroad the whole process. If they right. had enough money, they could have continued to treat their people like crap and they, they would have been fine. But... Which is even more ridiculous. But, yep, exactly. I went uh, I went online and I found from Zipia.com, Z-I-P-P-I-A.com. Okay. This is dated back April 17th of this year, but it's the 15 largest trunking companies in North America. And it's okay. it kind of it, it breaks down these different companies and talks about like what their revenue was in 2022. Uh, a lot of these companies, it, it talks about... Um, where they're based, how many employees they have, what is the average annual salary for the trucker. Uh, so if you are a trucker or someone knows someone looking to be a trucker, I don't endorse that because it's really rough. And for what they pay you, it's it's really rough on your body uh, to be a trucker. But if that's something that you want to do, uh, remember you have, uh, you have UPS and FedEx Freight. Uh, which are, of mm-hmm. course, attached to UPS and FedEx, larger respectively. You have XBO Logistics. You have Landstar, uh, Swift, which I think is now Knight Swift, because I think they also bought Knight uh, Transportation. Okay. So they're they're one company now. Old Dominion, which has been around since, like, uh, Columbus. Not that old, but it's like they've been around forever. Uh, the uh, Ryder. Uh, we've got a buddy that works for Ryder, and he can tell us about some of the internal machinations of that company but still they're 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 a trucking company like there there are a lot of other companies and i know in the past couple of years a lot of these trucking companies have been hurting for drivers which theoretically means yeah and it theoretically that means they should be in a good negotiating position to make good money off the job theoretically yes they should be that's that's how this should work and I know you're not a fan of like the the job of trucking, but I mean a, a couple of things. One, it should be, and it, it traditionally has been, a path to the middle class. It's it, it is a skilled trade. It's it's not something everybody can do. There is there is a meaningful life to be uh, to be found um, being uh, being a trucker. The other piece of that is we have a we have a country that increasingly is a consumer economy, and what what makes the consumer economy move is the movement of product like the fact that people want their like i i don't know little plastic doodads from amazon overnight the only way that that happens is through logistics and and through trucking so 
it's a, it's an industry that as long as we remain and we are poised to continue to remain a a massive consumer economy as long as Amazon has the sort of market power that it does and two-day shipping is something that everybody has come to expect or overnight shipping is something that everybody has come to expect trucking and logistics should be a it should be a very worthwhile career pursuit like it, it I, I I appreciate that yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's it, you're sitting for long hours. It's it's hard on your body, but man, there's a lot of trade jobs that are very hard on your body, and they are part of what make this country go round. And so, oh yeah, um, I, like it's a necessary evil, and I don't want to dispute that it's not a worthwhile job. It's a job that has to be done. I'm just looking at the average salaries of these jobs, knowing the toll it takes on you. And I just, I feel like it should be more. Exactly. I, I, a hundred percent, like no, no notes. Yes. Because, because these, it's the like people you, in these jobs should be getting paid more. Yes. You want to move these products. You want to continue to move these products, keep these supply lines going. Uh, then you need to invest accordingly in taking care yes. of your people, take care of your people, take care of your product, take care of your freaking trucks. I am so tired of like shredded tires on the interstate. Get it together. I know. It's it, it, and, and that's and, and that's exactly it is why are these companies taking massive bailouts like this and uh, th- they're not taking care of their actual supply line. They're not taking care of their actual vehicles. They're not taking care of the people that because here this is this is a perfect example of without your drivers, you don't have a company, right? Yellow all of a sudden finds itself in a position where it does not have drivers anymore. And therefore, it is no longer a company. They don't make anything themselves. So without the people that literally make the company run, there's no company anymore. And what's really, again, it, what's what's unfortunate about that is the people who are getting screwed in this situation are the drivers. And everybody who gets impacted by the downstream uh, like dysfunction in supply line. The, the fucking executives will buy their way out of their court time and they'll retire their fat asses somewhere out in Franklin, Tennessee and laugh about it over brandy oh god eat the rich man and they're not even that rich versus like you know fedex or ups executives (laughs) i i mean it's I, i it's it's tough though because when you get to executive class in any one of these like legacy uh legacy companies the 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 financial divide is is so severe that even not that rich is still way more rich than your average American. Let's say they have an executive compensation package on the lower end of like $2 million annual and their drivers are making $40,000, $50,000 a year. That means that, you know, the person at the, the top of that ladder is making 40 times what the person at the bottom is. Get the fuck out of here with that bullshit. It's, it's kind of funny because trucking pops up randomly in my news feed, uh, mainly because yeah. of, of stuff in Florida. Uh, one of these companies is actually based out of Jacksonville. I don't remember which one. I'd have to go back to the list. But uh, because we passed laws about requiring only uh, allowing like certain kind of licenses in the state of Florida uh, in order to like mm-hmm. drive in the state of Florida. And there was this whole thing about, oh, truck drivers are going to boycott. But very quickly, a lot of truck drivers are like, well, not if they pay us enough, like if the pay's good. We'll we'll still go. And, and this is this this is what's like everybody's like, I, I, I don't 
everybody feels like it's like they're intentionally confused about economic issues. They're like, you know, what is it that American workers really want? More money. We want more pay money. people for, <laughs> for their efforts, right? But like, that, but th- this shouldn't important? be. A, a, sorry, finish. Uh-huh. This shouldn't be a mystery. When you look at at the top of some companies, you have executives who are making tens of millions of dollars and entry-level employees who are making twenty dollars to $30,000 annually. That imbalance, it shouldn't be a shock that people want to get paid more because the money clearly exists. So why is it not being better distributed? You can't live off of a a salary that that low. Right. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Uh, The... And it's not, but it's not about greed. And I think that's, that's the thing too, is like, you're like, oh, so just throw money at it. Well, yeah, give me money, but like, give me money so that I can like rent my own space. Give me money so that I can buy produce and not a Lunchable. Buy me, let me, let me be able to afford life. Exactly. And that's the thing is, is the, the idea that the American worker is greedy to me is a hundred percent pure projection of what the people at the top actually feel. They're like, well, yes. I know I, we talked about this last week, right? I know I want all of the money. So it must be that every, all these little peons around me also want all of the money when I don't think that's true. I think that, like you said, most people want to be able to afford to buy some apples and uh, some spinach rather than just a soda pop, right? Like, People are just asking for a a stable and uh, not even like super comfortable, but a, 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 they just want a slightly better standard of living because of the amount of work and production that they put into their job. Worker product productivity has skyrocketed over the, the the last couple of decades, and wages have either stayed stagnant or declined. So people literally are putting in more effort and pumping out more productivity and being paid less for it. And that's fucked up. What a bunch of lemmings. More quiet it, quitting. It's, every, everybody, when when you say the words, we need wealth distribution, everybody fucking panics. And they're like, or wealth redistribution. They're like, oh, you want to take money away from the, the upper class? It's like, actually, yes, I do. I'll own that. Because they have taken money away from the working class. We are well, already in a state of, of wealth redistribution, except it's going to the top and not to the 60, 70, 80% at the bottom. And are there people that are bad with their money? Yes, obviously. Like, yep, sure. Uh, just, it's just like asking, well, are there terrible people in this world? Yes, objectively. Yes, right. that's law of averages. Um, but how, how are we... How are we supposed to function? Are we supposed to function with the mindset of we should try to make everyone's lives better? Or do we function like a third grade teacher where we're like, well, Timmy ruined it for the rest of you. Uh, it's, right. it's it, Yeah, you, you cannot let the better be the enemy of, or be uh, you can't let perfect be the enemy of better. Right. We, we can't means test this shit to death where we're like, well, only people with a credit score of this much should be able to. No, 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 so no, no, fucking no. arbitrary. We just. But yeah, it is. Exactly. We just need a broad redistribution of the wealth in, in, in this country and, and give people back some fucking dignity in their lives. At the top of this episode, we were talking about like debt and the state of debt and people just like are in the red. Yep. They just spend their money left and right. Uh, you know, who could stand to do that is that 1%. I, I think that would be fine. Cause <laughs> you, on the other hand, you can't take it with you and you don't need right. to leave that much money to your descendants. 
Unless you're Nick Cannon, then maybe you do. But like, well, you know, <laughs> yeah, you, like you just <laughs> you need to turn around. You don't need to. You should turn around and invest it into the betterment of all. But now we're getting close to that dangerous S word. So we should probably pivot. But we socialize the losses, Josh. We socialize the losses. And we feel terrible that's, that's about the thing it. Is pe- it was such a people, bad thing. We should never socialize anything ever again until next time. It, well, and that's it. And that's exactly it is we always everybody. They, they scream about how awful socialism is. Part of that is because they've never experienced the good side of socialism. We only see the bad side, which is when losses are incurred, everybody has to hurt. Instead of when gains are occurred, incurred, everybody's lives are lifted. That's the part that we don't get to see because we only ever socialize loss and we privatize gain. That's the fucked up cycle of United States economic policy. Well, I don't, I'm not sure that's going to make it away that its way into the uh, curriculum uh, this school year, sir. Um, well, not when not when you down in Florida are teaching fucking Prager you. Yeah, so let's get into what the Florida before yeah. we wrap up what this the episode. Florida indeed. Because we want to end on a high note. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I was initially I was going to mention the the Prager you uh, climate <laughs> denial educational videos that are it, it's it's not just climate denial. They they they're using it to like introduce like historical topics, like to how to talk about. Uh, slavery and how they're they're using one of Christopher Columbus telling children that uh, the Native Americans um, eat each other and practice human sacrifice. So it's better that we come in and subjugate them. But do go on. It, it, which is entirely inaccurate. I don't think Christopher Columbus talked to a child at all in his life. So right off the bat, I think <laughs> no. that's that's messed up. Now, here's here's the truth that you can argue. But again, it's like nuanced is. He encountered indigenous peoples. Did okay. some of them practice cannibalism? I think there was like one that did. So here's the thing. Oh, see, th- this is why I don't like to both sides this shit. No, because wh- that gives no, no, no. But but like giving giving any kind of ground to these these arguments, like in some way validates them. And the idea that because a, a, a large a large argument against like why white settlers subjugating the Native American people is that the people always say, well, so the Native American tribes were constantly at war with one another. Okay, like Europe was such a happy place to be through the Dark <laughs> right. Ages. You're like, hold on, <laughs> let's rewind. What was Europe doing during that right. same time period? They were why constantly did, at war. Why did France, Spain, and England all come to North America within 100 years of each other? Uh, yes. So yeah. if, if you want to... If you want to nuance the conversation, that's the that's what needs to be included. Yeah, no, exactly. And, but that's why that's why stuff like this is so insidious is because yeah. there is the smallest grain of sort of true in a certain context to it that gives it validity. Like that that's precisely why I said it that way because I knew you were going to light on fire. Because <laughs> it is it is garbage, but you read some of these articles, and some of them are like PragerU is going out there. The the Department of Education is specific. Florida Department of Education is specifically being like, well, because you know uh, most traditional educational programs are so uh, leftist. And I was like, so facts teaching are facts leftist. That's that's I mean that's weird. In in that worldview, yes. Like as as insane as that is. Yes, 
anything that isn't pure white Christian ethno state American exceptionalism to them is leftist. Like that's and that's how far right the Overton window on the right has shifted is that they they can't possibly imagine a world where everything that the United States has done isn't washed in gold. And it's it's fundamentally not true. And what's I, I, what I still so, find so troubling about this is like we, we don't need to like sit with our fifis about these things. We need to acknowledge that we did some really bad things in the past and acknowledge them so that we can learn from and do better in the future. This isn't like this idea that uh, that students are being shamed in classrooms for uh, for the background that they come from. I like I don't I don't buy it. I don't think that any teacher is is out to shame their students. They're out to educate them. And some of that education is uncomfortable because that's the world that we live in. But again, you're you're not supposed to like carry guilt with you. You're supposed to walk away from those lessons going, we need to do better. Yeah, you're supposed to walk around being informed and aware and yes. not repeat your stuff. But like it shows that uh Prager use uh infiltration of our education system is not just in social studies it, it's it's filtering into uh your science and gotcha. literature yep. and yeah. uh, i'm just waiting for my kid to come home and be like oh well two plus two does equal five if you carry the imaginary and i'll be like fuck off that, that and it, it, the you know one of the one of the books that conservatives love to point to is 1984 but this kind of shit is true 1984 like bullshit yeah, where it's it, it, it's a concocted story. Yeah, and I think there's a difference in discussing political values versus reality. Yeah. But that's not the only thing Florida is doing. That's what I came in here <laughs> ready to discuss was like, oh, let's see, you know, the other Prager you. dumb crap they're doing with the educational system. But then DeSantis <sighs> gave me some bread and butter when he fired the Orange Osceola State Attorney General Monique Worrell. Uh, that's his second one. That's his second state attorney general that he has removed from their job, uh, citing like dereliction of duty. Uh, the first one was the Hillsborough guy last year. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. This one, that guy was it, it was a guy that was, you know, when they were making all the the we hate the gays and the trans laws in Florida, uh, he kind of came right out. And he said, I'm not going to prosecute these things, which was bold. But, you know, mm-hmm. he had to know what he was setting himself up for. So, of course, he was taken out of his job. He went to court about it. He he ended up winning. Like, the judge ended up being like, yes, your removal from office was unconstitutional and fired like that. That that sucks. Unfortunately, I do not have the power to get you your job back. So it was basically like, yeah, the governor broke the law, but unfortunately, he gets to get away with it because there's nothing we could do about it, mm-hmm. which is super fucked up, in my opinion. I'm just going to yeah. say that again. The judge ruled that Governor DeSantis broke the law in firing this attorney general and he didn't have to face any repercussions for that that is the state of florida right now i can't speak for other states but in florida we have a governor that can do what the fuck he wants break whatever rules he wants and he's got an entire legislative body backing him up and nobody will do shit to stop him and that's why he has deluded himself into thinking that he could actually run for president of the entire country because they th- he thinks that he can do the same thing. So I, I just looked this up, by the way, because this is the the Hillsborough County uh, attorney general is still a, a or was still a semi live issue uh, until this is where 
this is this is the, the the deep rot. This is this is the dark stuff. He actually had an opportunity to get his job back. The Florida Supreme Court ruled six to one against allowing him to be reinstated. So mm-hmm. you had probably like a, a local or a district judge say, "Yep, this was clear workplace retaliation." Uh, it, you know, you were you were fired um, without without true cause or, or whatever, um, and it was appealed up to the Florida Supreme Court. And uh, they said, nope, sorry, we're not giving you your job back. And so now in Osceola and Orange County, he has let go of the duly elected attorney general, appointed his own person to replace them. I haven't looked deep enough into this guy's uh, background history to know what kind of person he is. But the whole thing is he feels that uh, the duly elected state attorney general in the area was being too lax on crime. I'm sorry, Ryan, our governor wants us to prosecute these these cannabis charges, these these protest charges, these low-level offenses. The excuse he is using in this is actually moderately clever because he is citing a person who uh the, the person that that shot and killed the reporter and kid last year. He was mm. someone that could have been locked up on a cannabis charge, but he was out. And being allowed to roam. And he had a very violent criminal uh, juvenile record. But that was uh, not considered. So if you want to argue that, especially in hindsight, I get it. But he is using that as his big prop to emphasize, hey, these are places that are not tough enough on crime. And we need to really get down on crime. And the fact that these are two Democratic state attorneys... Absolutely has no bearing on this whatsoever. He promises. He cites the third one in the state that is a Democrat that's doing just fine as far as he's concerned. I was like, oh, why do you feel the need to name drop him for no reason then? You know, then to like put him on notice, but fine. This has me infuriated. Not enough to like go on a crusade to overthrow DeSantis because I don't have that kind of time or interest and I already have health problems. But this is a man who is really exercising the wrong kind of socialism that everybody's talking about, where he wants to prop up business, prop up the people that like give him money and kiss his ass. That's, that's not socialism. That is, that is straight up dictatorship. Oh, right. I'm sorry. I I, I get it confused with these countries. I'm sorry. We're, we're so, (laughs) we're so busy railing against these, these places. They use the inner interchangeable terminology. I get confused. (laughs) I, I, um, first of all, Ron DeSantis um, can, how do I put this, lick every single scrote at Rikers. Um, with consent. You heard we it don't here. want to force those people to yeah, go through exactly. that. Exactly. Right. That's, that's, yeah, with, with consent. Um, actually, maybe at Gitmo, um, because uh, I, I feel like that would be poetic justice considering he was one of the torturers there. It would be, except um, so, we have a lot of people in Gitmo that have not committed any crimes whatsoever. It has been established right. they were not involved in anything, but we still won't fucking yep. let them go. So that's a whole other level of injustice. That's sorry. That's a. It's yeah. It, it no no no. It's it, it's it's one of the worst current atrocities that we're involved in. Um, <clears throat> first of all, I actually think DeSantis might be. Um, he's he's doing all of this right now. I I think the the tack he has taken in running against Donald Trump might actually make him unelectable in Florida. If if the Democrats put forward an even like moderately uh appealing candidate 
I think that there's a real possibility that that DeSantis is putting himself out of a job because a lot of what he's doing is so deeply unpalatable. And a lot of the things that he's saying is so like it's so nakedly political. It's it, we are seeing again and again and again that when the government, especially at state levels, actually does try and end run true democracy, people do push back and they, they don't stand for it. And uh, Ohio is a good example. We, we, we might have time to, to touch on Ohio in just a moment here. But I think that there is a I don't know what he's polling at in 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 Florida in terms of his approval rating. I think there's a potential that that DeSantis might have gone too hard into the culture wars and he might put himself out of a job because this is the kind of crap that like the the term I always hear that I think is a little derogatory, but like I get it normies, right? Like you're just your normal people trying to to like carve out a a middle class life. Um, Normies are going to look at this stuff by DeSantis and be like, what the absolute fuck are you doing? And uh, I think there's a, I think there's a real chance he gets himself into some, um, into some trouble with his voters. We can only hope. Yeah. I mean, he's still, Oh, I can't read these polls. I'm not, I'm not doing this right now. I'm not contributing to Polk's crap. He's not doing very well nationally. I I can't say how he's doing uh, locally because Florida is a special place. But to round out Florida on a high note. Yeah. I always want to find a little bit of good. And this one's legitimate. Yeah. Not not a, hey, we won best police car. Um, David Hogg has started a pack with the focus on getting more young people elected into political positions. I like he's he's kind of like. It's not as simple for him as just like we've got to, to deal with the whole like gun thing in America. David Hogg mm-hmm. is one of the more outspoken survivors of the Parkland uh, shooting here in yep. South Florida. Uh, he's but he's been very active. He's he's like we got to get more young people, more people in touch into office. Get those old fucks that are bought out or completely out of touch out of office and mm-hmm. actually work on meaningful like policy for the future. Right. So he himself is not going for anything. He's just he's starting an action a political action group to um, committee to uh, start working on making that happen. So I want to I want to follow that over the next few months and years. See how that goes. Yeah, that'll be uh, that'll be really, really interesting to see. Um, see how he continues to, to build out that coalition. Um, that's a uh, that's a pack that I could get behind. I, I can appreciate that. So do you want to you want to end with a with a nice story out of Ohio? Yeah, so this is this is a good example of direct democracy at work. Um, so you know, one of the things that we we talk about is like how difficult it is to affect st- uh, change at a state level, um, mostly because of the way that you know states are gerrymandered. That there's very few um, like truly competitive races uh, anymore. Um, it, it, a lot of political systems are deeply fixed and rigged against the voter, not in a you know, Donald Trump talking about like the election being rigged, but like truly in some places your vote counts for less because of the way that your state is gerrymandered. Um, like in, in Tennessee, uh, my my vote counts for very little um, uh, because of the way that the state is gerrymandered. But anyway, all that aside to say, when an up or down ballot measure is presented, though, in in a state then you get to see true democracy at work because then it's not about like, you know, how are these weird little counties put together to aggregate votes one direction or the other? It's just across the, the state, 
what does everybody have to say about this issue? And Ohio just fought what is largely thought to be a proxy battle over the abortion issue in the state because there is a measure coming to um, coming up for a vote in November that will protect abortion rights in Ohio. And it is polling very favorably right now. It's polling with about 55% support. It's, um, a, so, it's a state amendment that's up for vote, right? Is, is it supposed correct. to be an amendment to their state constitution? Okay. Correct. Yes. And 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 the the current the current support for it puts it around 55, 56%. So a clear majority. Um, not necessarily a super majority, but a clear majority are are in favor of this this amendment. So the Republican State House decided to try and end run democracy and raise the threshold for a state amendment up to 60% of the state vote rather than the 51% or the 50 plus one, sorry, the 50% plus one vote. So just the majority that has been in Ohio's state constitution for 111 years. Um, I, I do need to like sit on this for a moment because I find it deeply ironic that it is the conservatives that are always talking about, but the constitution says, and we can't change the constitution and in this case, they're like, we need to change the fucking constitution. And it's because well, they know that this – go ahead. No, I, I'm just going to put a little caveat there. Uh, they always talk about the United States con- constitution. You can't touch that document. State constitutions, well, that's states' rights. They can do whatever the fuck they want. I never hear I, them argue about the the um, immutability of the their state's constitution. I, I – I, I, I disagree just a little bit. I, I think that they, they make the argument when it's politically advantageous for them. And sure. right now it's not. So they, they want to change the Ohio State Constitution. This, is, this was the ballot measure. Was, yes, we should change the state constitution to require a 60% threshold to put an, an amendment in. No, we should keep the constitution as it is. And state amendments go into effect with 50% plus, plus one vote. And... Ohio resoundingly voted that measure down by like a margin of 57 to 43. Ohioans said, no, you are not changing the democracy that we have in place. You're not fucking with the system. We are going to continue to have the popular democratic voice that we have as a state. You as our state politicians are not taking that away from us. Here's Um, what I thought was so shifty about this is. Yeah. A, a measure like this to put up for a vote should have yep. something that should go on your like November ballot when everyone knows you you need to yes. vote. Summer voting yes. is always a much lower turnout. Yes. And so putting it on the summer vote with the whole idea being like, eh, not a lot of people are going to like vote on this one way or another anyway. It seemed like a safe bet. And that's why they tried to do it. And that's the, the shifty part to me. Well, and here's where it gets even better in that regard, Josh, is is because, yeah, normally you have a pretty low turnout in in special August elections. The turnout for this particular one rivaled presidential turnout levels, which means that That's not amazing. only did it pass, it passed with a lot of voters. It passed with immense participation in the process. So it wasn't even just, you know, the special interest group managed to galvanize a bunch of voters to kind of push something across the threshold. A lot of Ohioans came out for this thing and said, get the fuck out of our constitution. Um, yeah. And that's impressive because it's hot as fuck. 
so kudos to whoever, like the, the various groups that must have been hard at work to like get the word out, being like, hey, you need to vote. Um, yeah. Great work on that, Ohio. Oh, Already the uh, the Republicans in the state are, are whining about the ballot measure being confusing and people voted wrong. It's like, fuck off, man. Like, <laughs> after a certain point, it's just that people don't like the shit that you're saying. Like, stop trying to make excuses and maybe get in line with what the public sentiment actually is. Well, and here's the thing. I, I would be willing to debate whether or not uh, the idea of wanting to have a 60% threshold is a, a valid measure or not. Okay. I like mm-hmm. I get that. I think there are a bunch of states. I think there's certain rules in our national uh, legislature that you need to have a 60 percent to pass certain things versus simple mm-hmm. majority. Uh, I get that. I, I get the thoughts behind that. But the fact that they tried to do this in the summer mm-hmm. just reeked of corrupt partisan gamemanship. Yes. So. And that's and and some of the some of the the rather interesting pundit takes that I've been hearing about about this is is it, it speaks to exactly that it's there might have actually been some appetite for this but when it was so clearly an attempt to game the system in a very particular way you even get it like because you do not pass in Ohio a ballot measure like that with fifty seven percent voter support without attracting some Republicans. So even Republicans in the state were like, this smells fucked up. And like, even if there was appetite for the idea of a 60, 60% threshold, which I, again, I think that's a fair, that's a fair thing to debate. Like Aaron even talked about, she thinks that state constitutions are amended to, um, uh, haphazardly. The, the fair thing one to, definitely is. Yeah. Fair, fair thing to debate. But when you, when you do it this way, People are going to say no, like you're you are clearly trying to game the system for your own results. And um, it's you know, you, you can't you, you can't make a, a broad inference on this uh, as to the results of another vote. Um, but it now largely it, it looks like the the abortion protection measures are going to pass in the state of Ohio, which is a purple win that I did not think Ohio was capable of anymore um this is it's giving me a little bit of hope for my state back well we'll see and people that are pro-life just know a a law like that doesn't force you to have an abortion right just so you know so you you still you still get to choose to have a baby yep you can just i am the 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 talking point that i am so sick of conservatives using is post-birth abortion that's infanticide there's not a politician in the country that is arguing for children to be killed after they're born. That's it, like nobody wants that. That's not like this whole uh, uh, abortion on demand up to the point of birth or even right after. Nobody wants that. Get get out yeah, of here. That's not with a that. thing. It's not a thing. It's not a thing. And the, the the right to choose is the right to bodily autonomy. That's that is it, it is as simple as that. And the idea that women do not have, do not enjoy protected bodily autonomy in all states in the in the U.S. I, like I, I think that there's still an argument to be made about whether or not the United States as a country still treats women like second class citizens, and that's really, really screwed up. Hundred percent. I told you about the time my kid hit hit me with uh, my body, my choice, right? No. <laughs> he was like, "Daddy, my body, my choice," and I was like, "Will you just give me your hand so we can cross the street?" That's literally what it was. I'm not making that up. Oh my god. 
And uh, I think well, he, I, he, I think it's apropos he, to bring it up because this whole thing and the whole thing with the social social wars and the abortion anti-abortion movement is yeah. almost as juvenilely ridiculous. Yes. So that's all I want to say well, about that. And it's it, it's juvenilely ridiculous because very particularly the right strawmans these arguments. I think I I from when I hear rational reasonable debate coming out of um out of the left they they acknowledge on the merits that like nobody nobody wants to have an abortion. Nobody goes into life like wanting to like this is a goal or that this is some sort of like fun thing to do. They acknowledge that it is an incredibly difficult and an incredibly personal decision. They just want the freedom to be able to to make that decision on their own for their own body. Wait, and so you don't get right a punch talking, card? Yeah, uh, don't even joke about that. That'll be the next fucking thing that Ben Shapiro will be talking about. Ah, crap. I apologize. <laughs> I want to be compensated for my idea, Ben. Yeah, I, 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 I feel first. like I. Yeah, I, <laughs> we'll we'll have to keep an eye on Ben because uh, we we often you and I we we do impact to the national debate like we've shown it before the egg prices and the uh, the the trains in in Ohio and um, like you know we're we're usually at the forefront of these things so I'll have to keep an eye on what Ben Shapiro is talking about and find out whether or not uh, he's been listening to us. Okay, but I'm going to open a private window because I don't want that tracked. <laughs> That's fair. I yeah, I don't want people knowing that I'm watching Ben Shapiro either. <laughs> um, I no, I guess I I think I I think that's it. I had half a yeah. thought and then it like fluttered away because I have not had my bean water today or my leaf mm-hmm. water mm-hmm. or my bull piss. It's always it's one of the three, man. All right, coffee, tea, energy drink. So energy drink is bull piss because it has taurine. Oh, Taurus urine. I don't know. I, I don't I don't know that I can be on board with this, Josh. I'd say this. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh. <laughs> yeah. So, guys, that's our episode. Uh, there's so much more I want to talk about, uh, including something I'm actually very legitimately sad about. But the story is still actively developing at the time of this recording. So yeah. I'm not going to talk about it very much. Uh, all I want to say is that my favorite place on Earth, uh, the island of Maui in Hawaii is on fire and it's uh very devastating and if you can uh donate to some aid and relief groups to uh help help the people in hawaii uh that would be really dope yeah um this definitely uh our, our 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 thoughts and concerns are with the people of hawaii right now because it's it, it is tragic what is going on there uh, right now and uh we're we're gonna try and, and talk a little bit more about it hopefully in, in in an upcoming episode once it's become a little bit more clear like what's what's going on it's just all you really need to know right now is that the island is on fire and it's it is it, it is a terrifying and and horrible situation for a lot of people there so a little bit of a downer um but it's definitely something that uh, if you're not paying attention to you should be looking into a little bit more and helping out if if you're able, however you can. Much appreciated. Indeed. And until next week. Until next week. <laughs> <laughs>